and um, making space to pray and it's just great to hear your voices. And I, I want to make sure those of you who are online know how much we appreciate you joining with us online and, and just participating with us in that capacity. Um, your presence means a lot to us as well. And we also want to make sure if you're online, if you're not already there, our online platform is the best way to connect with us. And you can find that at onelifeseattle.org forward slash live. The reason we point you there is because um, in comparison to Facebook and YouTube and these other sites, this platform is designed for you to communicate and connect and just be more um, in with us. Um, there's Bible app, there's note sections, you name it. And so that said, if you're not there, go for it. If not, however you join us, awesome. Ah, I don't know how it was for you all. I needed worship this morning and uh, just really appreciate the set and um, worship team leading us and um, just the, even just this last song right before we got up about rest, finding rest, um, it was good. And this week we're starting week two of our new sermon series called Jesus Said. And um, with it, we're looking at the specific words, the teachings of Jesus as we find in the gospel of Luke primarily. We'll be looking at other places as well. But kind of what got us here is if you remember a number of weeks back, we were in a discipleship series for 14 weeks called um, Finding Our Way in Jesus. And in it, we were exploring what this idea of discipleship means. It's a word that we say a lot at church, but it's not something we hear in our day-to-day -day lives. It's not something we say to our friends. And so we're trying to figure out, like, what does that mean? And what we found is that in many ways, we've kind of missed the point. We learned that disciples are students, they're learners, they're students of a rabbi, and that a rabbi was a master teacher, one that was incredibly understanding of the scriptures and how they understood what it said, their interpretation, and even more so their application of the scriptures. And the ultimate goal back in the day was to become a disciple, to become a student of a rabbi. And in becoming a student of the rabbi, it wasn't just about memorizing things or learning certain rules. It was, it was to literally become like the rabbi in every way. You followed them everywhere all the time. And the idea was that you were going to be like them in every way. And so what we found as we looked into what it means to be a disciple was that we'd missed the point and that we've, been, uh, we've made being a disciple into something we do versus something we are. I do this, I do that, I memorize this, I do this, you name it. And that's what defined us as a disciple. And we had all these levels to kind of help us decide whether we were a good disciple or not or whether we were a mature disciple or not. And, and so in kind of continuing in what we've been learning, we decided, man, if we're going to get a better understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it looks like to follow and, and, and kind of embody what Jesus was like, we should probably spend some time focusing specifically on things Jesus teaches us. And, and so that's what we're doing with this series, focusing on the words that Jesus teaches us. And so today, that's what we're going to do. And so um, before we begin, let me just open this up with a word of prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for the rest we can find in this community, in this place that we can pause to, to worship, 
to remember and declare our need for you and your faithful presence with us no matter what's going on. Thank you that in our weariness, we can find rest in you, that in the goodness, we can celebrate your goodness and, and, and do so even in the midst of difficult things. And so this morning, as we look at your word, we pray that you would just give us um, getting to know ears, that we would hear maybe things for the first time, and that you would invite us into a deeper relationship with you. And pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So before we dive in, I just had a quick couple questions for you, and I'm not going to tease these out so much, but just show of hands, um, how many feel like the day-to-day life just feels kind of exhausting? Anybody kind of feeling a little exhausted? Okay. I'm with you. How many feel as if your to-do list seems to be never-ending? Anyone? Oh, man. If your to-do list has ended, I have a list that I could give you. How many would describe your life right now, be honest, as flourishing? Okay, couple. I want you to hold on to those reflections as we we dive into our text today. What does it mean for us to be flourishing? What does it mean to have so many things that just feels kind of unending? What does it mean to have our day-to-day often feel exhausting? If you have your Bibles, you could go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have a big stack of them back there that you can grab if you're online. The online platform has a Bible app that you can use. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And again, this is a story where we see Jesus teaching us. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it, but it'd be great for you to follow along. Um, The text today, the words will be in red, are words of Jesus. So that will hopefully help clarify things as we're looking through this as well. And uh, feel free to jot down things that stick out to you. But let's take a look at our text for the day. Luke 6, 1 through 11 says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said this to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So here in our story, we have the usual suspects. 
We got the Pharisees, we got the disciples, and we got Jesus. And we kind of generally as humans have this kind of rule of thumb that we try to not be critical of another person's faith, right? Because we're kind of hoping people will show us the same respect. It won't be judgmental of us. And it's really easy for us to read stories about the Pharisees and automatically come up with a bunch of judgments about them. And it's really important that we slow down and try to get a sense of where the Pharisees are coming from, because they often have a very different understanding of the scriptures, very different understanding of how things should go. So we need to understand what's going on for the Pharisees. And you see, the Pharisees were zealous for the law. Just recently, in one of my quiet times, I was reading from Psalm 119, which is longest chapter in the Bible. And it's this kind of acrostic psalm devoted to praise of the law. And this is just some of the text from that. It says this, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it till the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. That's Psalm 119, 33 through 36. See, the Pharisees would have wholeheartedly been like, this is a huge amen, which is nothing wrong with that. They had a devotion to living the Mosaic law. Unfortunately, their devotion to the law led to some extremes. Instead of obeying the law itself, they ended up obeying a multitude, literally thousands of these tiny rules that were one step removed from the actual law. So as an example, if you think of these two concentric circles, in the center circle is the Mosaic law. What the Pharisees did as a deep-hearted desire to follow the law, they essentially created a hedge or a fence of protection around the law, which eventually became what's called the traditions of the elders. This is what we basically understand now as the oral written law that is now the Talmud. And basically the idea was that if we create this hedge of protection around it, then if we obey that hedge of protection, then there's no way we're going to mess up on the law. So maybe in simple terms, you see a speed limit. It says the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. You only drive 50 miles an hour because then there's no chance you're going to break the law. Does that make sense? What resulted was a more law-centric religion. Love for God was expressed in love for the law. And being consumed with keeping the law for its own sake oftentimes makes us vulnerable for being centered on our own performance rather than the important principles that the law is supposed to point to. So for example, we get caught up in doing this law and we miss what the law is actually trying to point us to, like love for our neighbor real justice and mercy and this idea of flourishing. So for example, in Luke 11, 42, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of tithing even on garden herbs, but neglecting the love of God. 
And so in the area of Sabbath observance, the Pharisees had an especially large accumulation of rules. Those Jews that were observant of this would celebrate the Sabbath from sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening and seek to honor God in the way by not doing work, but observing Sabbath rest. All good. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to define what was and wasn't work, and some of the rules they came up with were straight up silly. (laughs) I mean, they're crazy. So here in our story, Jesus and the disciples, they're walking through the wheat or barley field just before harvest, probably on a field path, helping themselves to handfuls of the grain pulled off the grain heads. And they would rub the grain between their palms to dislodge the husks and then eat the grain. Now, you might think, man, if that was my field... That's not cool. There's people walking around taking stuff out of my field. But this is actually understood in the scripture as appropriate. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So what they were doing was totally cool. The Pharisees, however, were concerned because they were doing this on the Sabbath, And it broke the myriad of rules against working on the Sabbath. So as an example, here's a fitting quotation from the Talmud. In case a woman rolls wheat to remove the husk, it's considered as sifting. If she rubs the wheat, heads of wheat, it's considered threshing. If she cleans off the side adherences, it's sifting out fruit. If she bruises the ears, it's grinding. If she throws them up in her hands, it's winnowing. Definitely don't want winnowing on the Sabbath. So what happens is the Pharisees have watched, they're watching Jesus and the disciples and they see what's going on. And this is an infraction in their mind to the Sabbath rules. And so when they spot the disciples doing this with the grain fields, they ask Jesus specifically, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? which is a great question. They're very particular about the law. Jesus is a rabbi. They want to understand why he thinks this is okay and that he would be expressing this to his disciples. And so Jesus answers in a different way than we might expect. I would kind of naturally think he'd be like, your rules are foolish, right? Where did you get all this? And start kind of pointing it out and maybe kind of talking down. Who are you to ask me? And he doesn't do that. He doesn't even get in a debate with them. He does what rabbis do, what wise rabbis do, is Jesus goes to the scriptures, the same scriptures these guys would be looking at. And he says this, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So Jesus refers to this incident that they all would have known in 1 Samuel 21, where David is fleeing for his life. When he learns that King Saul is seeking to kill him, he goes to this place called Nob, which is a village in Benjamin, also awesome names, where the tabernacle was located. 
And the priest is surprised that he's traveling alone. David makes up a story about the secrecy of his mission, about meeting his men later. And he asks for five loaves of bread for his journey. And the priest answers that he has nothing to give him except some of the special consecrated bread that was just been replaced by the fresh bread. And this bread had been sitting for a week before the presence of the Lord in the tabernacle. Now, according to Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, this bread is reserved only for the priest who must eat it in a holy place. Nevertheless, the priest gives David some of this consecrated bread for him and his men. He does so because David is the king's ambassador and son-in-law, and he is on a holy mission, and he's hungry. So the question is, what's the point? Jesus is making and referring to this incident. Well, he's saying you've allowed rules to get in the way of caring for others. That human needs should override your legalism. And this is even more clear when you look at the same story in the Gospel of Mark because we see another phrase from Jesus saying this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So with it, the Pharisees must have been fuming, right? To them, the opposite was true. Humanity must conform itself to the law no matter what the inconvenience of the need. And it makes you wonder how often we let our rules and our regulations get in the way of our own human needs or the needs of others or even just our need to rest. How often do we do that? Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't leave it here. He asserts his own authority, which is significant, and says this, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. If David could eat the consecrated bread, how much more should the antitype of David do so? And although Jesus doesn't clearly state the messianic implications of his kind of self-designation of being the son of man, it's absolutely implied here for sure. And so the Pharisees had been angry at Jesus's suggestion that needs takes precedence over the law when David ate the consecrated bread. But they must have been even crazy hot furious when he's asserting his own authority over the Sabbath itself. So you can just hear the Pharisees lean to, who's this guy think he is? Do you believe this guy? He say he has authority over the Sabbath. He, he's saying needs are more important than the rules. And as if it wasn't enough, Luke includes a final incident to us illustrate Jesus's conflict with the Pharisees. On another Sabbath, Jesus enters a synagogue and begins to teach. And, and uh, we're not told where this happens, but the particular synagogue, there's this man whose right hand is shriveled, which probably means like muscle atrophy, uh, maybe paralysis of some sort. 
Whether or not he was planted there by the Pharisees in order to trick Jesus into breaking the Sabbath law, we don't know. But Luke notes this in verse 7, that the Pharisees and the teachers of law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. The laws about healing on the Sabbath seem somewhat kind of contradictory and confusing. In general, rabbis held that the only true kind of way you could do healing on the Sabbath is this is life-threatening. It warranted a breach of the Sabbath law. So someone suffering from a heart attack in the moment might be treated, but a really bad toothache, deal with it, right? And again, it was kind of confusing and not super clear, like what designated what? And so Jesus is aware of the Pharisees' motives and tells the man with the shriveled hand just to get up and stand in front of everyone. And in doing so, the stage gets set. With this poor disabled man standing before them, Jesus asked a very rabbinical question. Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life, or to destroy. This is what rabbis would do. This is how they would teach. This is how they would inform people of their own understanding and interpretation of the scripture. And so Jesus, knowing they're questioning this, asks this and looks around, waiting for an answer. And surely their own Sabbath tradition affirmed that the Sabbath was for doing good. How could they argue with that, right? But by their looks, Jesus can tell that they're unhappy in many ways because their trick didn't work, right? They were trying to get him in trouble. He asked a brilliant question. They can't really answer because his question leads them in the place that they don't want to go. The Pharisees have no concern, no pity for the man standing in the synagogue with the shriveled hand. All they can think about is their strict interpretation of the law. And so the gospel of Mark actually adds another detail, which is interesting, which I got to find this Mark 3, 5. It says this, he looked around them at the Pharisees in anger and deeply stressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely healed. The message translation says, Jesus looked them in the eye one after another, angry now, furious at their hard-nosed religion. And I point this out because it's so easy for us to distance ourselves from the Pharisees, but honestly, how often do we get stuck in our calloused heart, unable to see what God is doing right in front of us and how God might be inviting us to share his love in a unique way? I imagine with this person, as Jesus says, stretch out your hand, that probably went something like this and then bought the other one up and like, I'm able to do this. I'm healed. I brought back to restoration. And Jesus looks around at these people and their petty stubbornness and their self-righteousness and says, stretch out your hand. And the, the person's hands come up and they're, you got to imagine his face must have started beaming, smiling. Who knows how long his hand had been this way, and now it's restored. 
And the people in the synagogue must have gasped, but the Pharisees, they're angry. Once again, rules and regulations got in the way of them seeing goodness and healing. And the section then concludes with the Pharisees beginning to plot how they might stop Jesus. And that plot grows until it culminates in Jesus' death. It's pretty crazy to think. So now we get to this place where we've, we've kind of engaged the story, we've, we've thought about what's going on in the story, and there's so much more that we could do. But the question becomes, what do we do with this? Imagine if you are one of the disciples and you were observing this. What does Jesus intend for you to learn? What does Jesus intend for us to learn? How does Jesus want to uh, encourage us or challenge us to apply this? How can we embody what Jesus is teaching us? And I think this is what we're hoping for as we go through this series, as we think about this. And, and some of it is I want you to be thinking about this because the Spirit's going to in, in kind of encourage and challenge and stretch each of you in different ways. But there's two things in particular that stand out to me that I want to give you to hold on to. And, and the first one is that I actually think Jesus wants us to observe the Sabbath. Now, nowhere does Jesus give any justification for breaking the Sabbath, right? He and his disciples are observing it. It's a day of rest and a day of worship. I think it's very interesting that we have no problem holding a commandment like, thou shalt not murder. But when it comes to the commandment to observe the Sabbath, most of us never think about it, let alone do it. If there's a practice, we clearly see our rabbi consistently living out in the scriptures, it's Sabbath keeping. What if we all became more like our rabbi in following this example? Especially in light of us all saying, our to-do list is never ending. I have so much work. I often feel exhausted. I wonder how much of that is us living in a way that models the world and doesn't recognize something about the flourishing that is intended to come out of Sabbath keeping. So you do with that what you want. But I think there's something about the Sabbath that Jesus is challenging us with, that we, not just us as a church, but the church as a whole, especially in the United States, has for whatever reason disregarded. The thought that we could have a whole day where we rest and not do work seems impossible. It's so counter everything about our world. Sure, we might say, oh, I slept in for an hour. Awesome. No, no shame in that. Maybe you watch some football. Awesome. Uh, is that what we're talking about? I don't think so. And so that said, I'm going to leave it there. I think there's something for us as a community, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, that we are being challenged to think about with regards to our following Jesus' example that has to do with observing the Sabbath.
Now, the second thing I think is that we need to know that the law is not intended to make life harder for us, but to help us flourish. When you think about it, the Pharisees have no qualms about the law preventing mercy towards the suffering. Jesus will have none of that. Jesus is clearly not a legalist, but a man in love with people, always aware of their needs and eager to alleviate their suffering, whatever it is. Jesus doesn't see observance of the law as the point, but the love and mercy that the law points to is the point. I'm a James Bond fan, and often in James Bond, you see these scenes of these car chases. This one in particular is in Italy, and as an Italian, I'm desiring to go here and drive my Ferrari, if I ever had a Ferrari, along here. Um, But there's always these crazy car chases. And thankfully, these roads, you can't really see them very well, they have guardrails. And those guardrails are designed so you don't go off the edge, right? They're designed so you can fully enjoy this road without dying, right? There's nothing wrong with the guardrails. They're not bad. They're actually quite good. And um, they are there to help you flourish, to enjoy the experience and not be so worried. If you've ever driven on a really curvy road on a cliff with no guardrails, you know what it feels like. It's the most scary thing in the world, especially if you have a tent trailer, because you're worried that thing's going to go off the edge and pull you with it. But as long as that guardrail's there, you have a different way of experiencing the road. Sadly, the Christian world today is full of legalists and legalism. Canon laws and constitutions on both sides, conservatives and liberals and everywhere in between. Churches can fuss about pretty much anything you name. Who can and how you take communion who, how, when, and where to do baptism, whether we are more liturgical or seeker-sensitive, women in leadership, tithing to what Bible translations best. We can make judgments about men and women and young people on the basis of their hair length or lack thereof of hair, body piercings, tattoos, whether they put pineapple on their pizza, which is clearly written in the Bible as a big no-no. We make judgments about all kinds of things. Generations ago, the Church of America had a hard time figuring out if people of color could be in their church. What about different genders? We dispute about specific words and ecclesiastical power. And then, on top of it, we scheme for ways to essentially beat our opponents or those who think differently. As long as they see something different, we are trying to find ways to prove them wrong. We can even argue about who who can be saved. All that to say is that hard rule-based religion is essentially the same as a modern-day Pharisee. And we like to say that's not us. 
but it is. It might not be in the same ways, but we all have it. And I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I get this distinct feeling that Jesus is a bit appalled with the complex systems and moral justifications that end up kind of defeating his mission to care for, to love people. And Jesus is modeling and teaching and inviting us and challenging us to stretch and to change. Do we believe what our rabbi is saying to us today? When we were in that discipleship series, we had this quote that we looked at each week. It was this idea that discipleship is the process of moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel of Jesus in absolutely every area of life. Unbelief to belief. Do we believe that our deliverance and our righteousness and our right relationship with God is based on what we do or who we are in Christ? Do we believe that the practice of Sabbath rest is intended for us to flourish? That it reminds us of our freedom in Christ versus the ways of the world? I mean, if you think about it, it's not that hard to believe that not murdering people helps us and others flourish, right? Because people aren't dying. But do we believe that we're not slaves to our work and that our work is not what makes our true identity? Do we believe Sabbath rest will help us flourish? That this way of life our rabbi is showing us is better than the way of our world? I think Jesus is inviting us into something far more simple. It starts with our love for God and our true, honest need for God. And then it works itself out in the way we show love to others. It flows from a heart yielded to God, not a mind schooled in regulations. As we close, I think that's the life Jesus modeled for his disciples in these moments. And I think it's something Jesus is modeling for us. And so as we close, I want to give us a scripture for us to like kind of resonate with. Um, And then um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. But the scripture says this, is we've just heard Jesus teach us. Romans 12 says this. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you is embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. As we end, we're going to have a few moments to reflect. And uh, I'd love for you, if you want to share your thoughts, to use your connection card. If you're online, there's a link in the online platform. Those of you here, there's one on your chair. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. What might God be speaking to you about? Um, and, I, and I put there, um, 
What do you think Jesus intends for you to learn today? And how might God be inviting you into application of this? That's what I would love to hear from you. Um, And I will tell you, uh, I heard last week a lot of people were talking about sermon and still discussing it after they left, which is awesome. I don't expect these to be just like this easy answer. I know exactly what to say right now. But don't let that go without talking to people, right? Like if, if you're taking some more time to reflect on how you might be applying this, that's awesome. But still let us know. We'd still love. So even if that's coming next week and writing on here, man, from last week, here's what I've been feeling. That's cool too. What I want us to be hearing, though, is I think there's something about rest, both in taking a Sabbath, but also from being burdened from all the rules. That God intends us to experience what it means to flourish. Part of that flourishing is in Sabbath practice, in the rest and stepping away from the the world's way of saying, you are what you do. And allowing God to say, no, you're enough. You're my beloved. And you can take a break. And what that might say to our world. But I also think there's an invitation to rest from holding to so many rules and regulations and so many divides and finding ways to release ourselves and experience the freedom in Christ so that we can both be healed and help other people as well. That said... Please take a few moments to consider um, how this might be hitting you. I'd love to hear from you. Use this space however you'd like to pray, to confess, to dream, uh, you name it. Um, Feel free to use this space. Um, The worship team, they're going to be back up and ready to pray with and for you. So if you'd like to pray, if you're not even sure what you need, they'd love to pray with and for you. So please go take advantage of that. If you're online, the, the online platform has a link so you can do that as well. Um, but use the space as the, brand, the band plays instrumentally for a bit, and then we're going to end with one last song of response. And it's really just an invitation back to our need for God where we find our flourishing and our rest. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your faithful presence. And we thank you for your word where we could hear you speak and teach We can see you embody um, an example. Um, You teach us as our rabbi uh, what it looks like to live our day-to-day life. And and you've invited us to explore this practice of Sabbath keeping, which seems so countercultural to our world. And yet we all are recognizing our need because we are so engulfed in our culture that says, do this, do that that even the thought of an hour feels ridiculous sometimes and impossible. You invite us into a different freedom that says, no, you aren't slaves to work. You aren't slaves to all these rules. In fact, you invite us into flourishing, into rest, in restoration, into resurrection, as we own our need for you in our acceptance, in our righteousness that is only found in you. And so this morning again, God, as we rest, as we've enjoyed worship, as we've enjoyed prayer, as we've enjoyed community in your presence, Holy Spirit, we thank you and we say we still need you. We need you. And help us, God, 
where we have gotten rules and regulations put in the way of your work in your goodness and your grace. Help us to let go of those that we might experience more of your grace and share it with others. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.